Hello and welcome to episode 239 of the Waters Wave Fan Podcast, Quarantine Edition. I'm your host, Shen, and as usual, I've got Tony with me here today. Hey, T, how's it going? Well, better than you. I mean, I get to roam about free, but you're just locked like an animal in a hotel room. For those of you that can't see the image, that uh, so we're on Teams, and uh, <laughs> so I can see the video here. Not only is she in a hotel room, though it looks nice, you know, nice uh, king-size bed there, but uh, the it's a small room. And not only is it a small room, but the windows are fogged out or like, you know, whatever, whatever you call that. So you can't even actually look outside, like light comes through, but you can't actually look outside. And the reason for that, Wei Shen tells me is, well, why don't you tell the, the, the folks why the reason for that is? <laughs> so the reason for that is, uh, well, there's a cemetery just outside my window, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Mm. Nothing like yeah. uh, being locked in a room for COVID protocols and have a cemetery right outside. It's pretty depressing, I would say, all around. Um, so yes, uh, I'm doing better than you, basically, is what I'm trying to say here, Wish. Well, I am thankful that I am still able to see some sort of color. So I, I know that the sky is blue today and there's some sort of greenery outside. So there must be some green around the cemetery, but yeah, um, morbid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that we're doing better from a climate standpoint, I was all of my colleagues, uh, the reporters, and like some of my bosses have been just complaining about in London how hot it's been, and it's been pretty hot here in New York. But I, I think just regular hot here in New York, you know, it's how it's, hot is that, by the way, and how hot is it in London? Oh, that they were complaining. So it's, well, it's ninety degrees here. I would say, you know, usually around, you know, the highs each day are between like 85 and like maybe 90, 92. Some days are more humid than others. In London, um, it's been, you know, you're talking about in the 90s, like 90 degrees. But I guess the problem with London, um, for those that don't know, um, is that one, they don't have many places don't have air conditioning. They're not an air conditioning country the way that we are here in New York. Um, and two, the houses weren't d designed. Um, these houses and apartment buildings weren't designed for that kind of temperature, really. So the insulation isn't as good. And mm -hmm. so it just feels hotter in the house. Like I live in a nice brick house. Um, the buildings like outside's brick, even and I'm on the first floor. Um, so even when it's 90 degrees outside, even without an air conditioner running, you know, you can just have a couple fans on and be comfortable. But if you want to be nice and cool, you kick on the air conditioner. Um, but it just goes, is somebody trying to break into your apartment right now or what? Can you hear it? Yeah. <laughs> Food's here. <laughs> we can pause. You can get your food. <laughs> I can leave it outside. It's okay. That's the nice thing is they deliver food to you. How freaking great is that? That somebody, you know, like you're Amelda Marcos over here just having food delivered to you and you're, you know, and, and you're. Oh, I, feel, you know, I feel like a pet sometimes. I'm just waiting for food to arrive, you know? <laughs> like, when is food? When is dinner? When is breakfast? When is lunch? <laughs> you, you, you mark the passage of time by how dark it kind of gets in the room and stuff like that from the 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 fog that windows yeah, yeah i can see the light blue turn into like darker shades of blue <laughs> so i can't see anymore 
<laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, in New York, uh, it's been hot. In London, it's been much hotter, and they just they haven't experienced it. And yo, it's funny. I, I God, I should have looked this up before we started talking about. I was I, I wrote an article a long time ago, many, many years ago about ESG data and stuff like that. And it was called turning green into green. Mm. And in it, I gave, I was talking to Tony, use your freaking memory. Damn it. I can't remember. I was talking to a guy who worked at a European thing that they, this is what they (laughs) kind of oversee is kind of sustainability issues in Europe. And he was telling me about how farmers in the central part of England have been diversifying their their fields because the temperatures in London over the next five to 10 years are expected to be similar to that of the Champagne region of France, which is where Champagne comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they want to kind of just get in on that and be like, all right, if we're going to have the same temperature, we can grow the same kind of crop and create the same kind of thing. Maybe we can actually create a whole different kind of thing. And, you know, it kind of gets you thinking about, you know, climate change is going to present good things and bad things. Um, you know, and there there will be, um, ironically enough, new opportunities as temperatures change for certain regions. And there'll be absolute devastation in other regions uh, because of climate change. And what that really kind of got me thinking about is this idea of climate migration and mm. whenever you hear about like climate migration it's always like in uh sub-saharan africa people fleeing because just drought and just no food and no crops i mean which has always been a problem there but it's getting worse um central america so much of the migration up toward you know up toward from guatemala and everything up toward into the u.s some of it is a lot of it is gangs drugs and just uh government uh instability and violence some of it is just that you can't you know there's no food there's a you know there, there's a shortage of 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 food and water and the, and the necessary supplies you need to live and so whenever we talk about climate migration that's usually what we're talking about here in america but you know, you look at what's going on in the west or west coast of this country, and there's, for those that don't know, there's just wildfires raging throughout mm. uh, Oregon, especially, um, but uh, California two years in a row, it might be more, but at least two years in a row, has been devastated by forest fires. Um, and, you know, it, it gets you thinking, like, because when you think about climate migration, it's like, all right, I have to leave my country, go to a new country, but this is... You know, I don't understand, like, if I was, if I had a family and I lived in Oregon, Northern California, I would be like, why, if these forest fires might have missed me this year and last year, but it's only a matter of time. These things are going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Um, it's kind of like yeah. the hurricanes in um, that that sweep up the east uh, coast of the U.S. They're becoming more frequent, more stronger, thus more devastating. So why would you live in these regions where you're susceptible um, to climate disaster as climate is only going to get worse and worse? And, you know, my dad, I'll just give you one last anecdote and, and then I'll mm-hmm. ask you. 
Canada. Um, my dad, so my family lives in most of my, actually most all my family now lives in Raleigh. My brother just moved down there. My sister moved down there many years ago. Um, my mom and dad moved down there about a decade ago. And my dad always complains like these liberals keep on coming in and they want to, you know, they leave these uh, liberal places where there's uh, high taxes, uh, homelessness, you know, crime. And then they come here and they try and enact the same policies that led to the high. So you know, it goes on a, <laughs> a proper uh, right wing rant. He's a lovely man. Don't worry. He's not a crazy, crazy. <laughs> Republican, but he's just an old man. He's he's almost he's going to be seventy five this year in October, so he's just an old man. That's all it is. But uh, I go to my dad. I say, Dad, listen, you know, Republicans better start taking climate change seriously because as these left leaning people in, on the west coast of our country start leaving those places, they're going to come to the middle. They're going to come to to uh, places that have been maybe conservative hotbeds. You've seen it in Texas. How many people are leaving San Francisco and L.A. to move into Texas? Uh, and so I was like, you know, maybe maybe Republicans should actually take climate change up as a real like uh, something that we need to address just to keep the liberals out of the conservative cities. <laughs> Well, Republicans in general don't believe in climate change, do they? Uh, listen, I, I think that that's. Oh, I am a. I am a hardcore. I'm not hardcore. I'm, I'm conservative, um, and I very much believe in climate change. I believe that the jobs of the future are going to be related to climate change, sustainability. Mm. You know, coal, these uh, fossil fuel burning jobs, they're going away. The new jobs of the future are going to be in the sustainability um environment so anyway that's that's neither here nor there but it's all to say i think that people need to start thinking about climate change beyond just okay this is good for portfolio investment stuff like that but what happens when people start really moving and mass because of climate change um in the u.s they're going to be moving into midwestern northeastern uh, places that's going to bring jobs to these places, lose jobs other places. So some places will become like Detroit and like a Rust Belt kind of thing. Beth, like um, uh, Pittsburgh, you know, losing the steel. Uh, 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 Detroit losing the cars, manufacturing. And so I think there's an opportunity from an ESG perspective, from an E perspective, environmental perspective on the data side to really start forecasting long-term trends of climate migration. And I got to imagine it's the same in Asia, though the moving about isn't as easy as, you know, we're in a singular country here as opposed to Asia. So you were just in Malaysia going into Hong Kong and it was just, even though you live in Hong Kong, you're dressed in Hong Kong and you're, and you're Malaysian, it was a pain in the butt for you just to get back into Hong Kong, even though that's because of COVID. But I don't know. I would imagine similar similar trends there. Um, I'm just curious. Just before we talk about Malaysia and Hong Kong, and usually Malaysia tends to be pretty safe since we are sitting on the equator line. Uh, mm -hmm. So it tends to be safe. I wouldn't say we don't get extreme weather, but um, just just curious. You say that a lot of people are moving from like San Fran and LA to the to Texas, but isn't that where the extreme where they experience extreme cold weather uh, and winter storms? Time, this was this was for the first time ever. Uh, they experience extreme cold, and there's this whole convoluted thing. Texas has its own energy grid. The rest of the the other forty the or the the other uh, continental 
the 47 other continental states are on um, on the same grid. Texas has its own. Um, something happened where just a, a confluence of events, but extreme cold that Texas never experienced of this nature. Um, prolonged. So here's, yeah, so here's the thing, right? I mean, uh, just taking the U.S. as, as an example, um, of, of obviously different countries have different protocols and obviously different states, uh, especially in the U.S. where you guys have 50 states. Um, <laughs> federal and state is different. Um, I, I still find myself, uh, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. But anyway, it, it, these states aren't uh, unwell equipped for any natural disasters that may come their way. Well, think about it, though. If you so let's take Texas as an example. People could say, oh, well, why weren't they prepared for something like this? Well, something like this never has happened. You're not prepared for something that never happens, right? It's there's a possibility could happen, but you got to allocate. There's only so much federal budget. There's only so much state budget that you can spend on infrastructure, on utilities, on you know whatever it is uh, in your state, whatever whatever the tax dollars, the the state revenue goes towards. So they weren't prepared for it simply because they thought this isn't going to happen. This we're not going to have to. What are the odds of this happening? But how many times do we keep on saying what are the odds of this happening? And then it happens, right? <laughs> How many massive hurricanes you have to get hit with before you'd be like, you know, all right, Hurricane Sandy once in a generation. But that doesn't mean that there's not another Hurricane Sandy that's going to hit New York anytime soon. You know, um, you know, you have tornadoes that are more active east of the Mississippi. You know, and tornadoes used to be more west of the Mississippi. If you think about Mississippi kind of kind of cuts America kind of in half down the middle. OK, so. Um, you're starting to see more tornadoes there. This is all related to climate change. And so it's tough. You you can't really, you, you have to, you know, every single state, every single city, every municipality has to designate their money in an appropriate way because there's not enough money to go around. So it's like, all right, well, Climate change is going to be last, you know, and and an unlikely event is going to be something that's last that you're going to spend on. But then once it hits, it becomes devastating, if not deadly. Mm. I don't know. I do think that, I mean, yes, climate change is definitely very real, even though, let's say, for example, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, Malaysia sits on the equator line. So that means we are not uh, exposed to things like earthquakes, um, volcanoes, erupting and all that kind of like extreme uh, disasters, uh, much like let's say our neighbors in Indonesia experience. Sure. Um, but the weather has been getting more extreme. I mean, we only have technically two main seasons there, hot and rainy. <laughs> uh, monsoon season, which lasts for, uh, I think it's between November and March each year. And then the rest of the year, it's just hot. But it has been raining um, in months where there usually isn't that much rain traditionally or in the past. Well, not traditionally, historically. <laughs> um, so 
And, and temperatures have dropped to, I mean, the usual temperature in Malaysia is around, let's see, I think it would be around close to 90, 90 Fahrenheit, uh, any, anywhere between maybe 85 to 90 Fahrenheit. So that is around 30, 30 degrees um, mm -hmm. Celsius. I know early in the year, it actually dropped to like 71 Fahrenheit, which is like 22 degrees or something. Um, and you know, we don't really get that very often. So it's, and it's actually cold, even though it's not traditionally cold, but you can imagine for people who, uh, you know, live there all the time, it, mm -hmm. it's a 10, a 10 degree drop is, is a lot. Huge. Huge. Yeah. It's huge. And, so, and for crops, for, for everything like that too, it's, it, it, it affects everything. And yeah. it's, it's like an ecosystem. You, you, you mess with that ecosystem just a little bit. Things can go haywire quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. People will have to. Governments, countries will will start. Will will need to start paying very very close attention. I, I mean, they already have started, <laughs> or they have said they've started, but they really need to pour in more effort and more money into this. I understand that obviously, it, you know, yeah. They're restricted by budgets and like there are obviously more um you know it, it depends where that budget is going uh for now for example most of it's going to like covid relief and stuff like that but yeah but this is definitely not an issue that's going away um and if anything uh the well generation generation z <laughs> uh pays attention to these uh these types of issues a lot more i think a lot more. They find it more close to their heart, I feel, than when I was younger, anyway. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I, it, it, it's true. I, I would. I agree that that's true. But with that said, I also think it's a lot of lip service, too. I think that a lot of people like to talk the talk, but they don't actually walk the walk. Like, you know, um, I was just to give you an example. I was uh, I got a new phone because my last phone crapped out. I really got to stop buying Apple phones, but whatever i'm sad. you really got to start drop you really got to stop dropping them i think i don't drop them listen the, the the cracks that were on that phone were not from me dropping them they were from alice dropping them both <laughs> times alice dropped my freaking phone okay? okay okay i'm a lovely boyfriend and i didn't just snap each time but anyway <laughs> um and don't i sound like a lovely boyfriend um <laughs> so i'm at the store and this guy's talking about how he switched over to from Con Ed, which is our local energy uh, company. It, it's New York City's it's New York City's energy dominant uh, energy companies. Con Ed to this um, there's like this green like sustainability thing alternative that's trying to make its way into here. The guy was complaining about because he's like he had got a bill that was seven hundred dollars for one month. And he's like this is a this is a scam. And the guy goes, well, why are you using? It? He's like, well, I'm just trying to be sustainable. I'm trying to do my part, you know. And so a little bit later, because again, this guy's getting his computer fixed. So I'm there waiting to get my new phone. He starts talking on his phone about how the guy works in food procurement for restaurants in the Williamsburg area, I guess. And or maybe New York City. And so he starts telling the guy from Verizon, he's like, yeah, so uh, this one restaurant down the street, they need uh, this specialty, I, I, I can't remember what kind of fish it was, but a specialty fish from Spain flown in overnight to New York City. And so this is the hypocrisy of it. It's, 
I, I really want to do my part about, you know, sustainability. Meanwhile, also, I'm willing to sell my soul for a job that, you know, so I can get very, very rich people fish from across the world overnight. It's like, I'm pretty sure your carbon offset is, it's kind of like, uh, uh, who just recently went in, was it Bezos that went in outer space? <laughs> which I know it was one billionaire. I can't remember which one. Um, uh, it was a virgin guy. Oh, um, uh, Branson, is it? Richard yes, Branson? yes, Richard Branson. Yeah. So he goes up space. in outer space. One, one would argue that it's not space, but anyway. <laughs> and are they, I'm just wondering, are there emissions, like when, when their companies talk about emissions and stuff like that and how we're reducing our carbon footprint, does it count that, you know, just for joy and, like, I'm all for space travel for scientific purposes, for research, for discovery. This guy just wants to do it for, because I'm rich and for, you know, just just to show people I can. It's like everybody likes to talk a good game about sustainability. They don't they, they, they don't actually follow through with it, you know, and that's the thing that pisses me off. Like, yeah, you walk around New York. God, I really went off on a tangent here, but you walk around New York <laughs> City and like, you know, how much people just like the garbage just everywhere. Like they, God forbid, you have to carry around a little bit of garbage. It's like, okay, that, that garbage can is full. Um, I could just carry this a little bit longer and find a garbage can that isn't full, or I could just throw it right next to this garbage can. Anyway. You know I what don't. they should do? They should implement something like what Japan does. There are no garbage cans outside because you're meant to take your garbage and your rubbish yeah. with you home, and yep. then you clean it there, as in you you separate it or whatever you need to yep. do with your um, your rubbish. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes you think, like, do I really need to have this? Like, like I go get coffee at this local shop. Um, actually, an Indonesian lady, she's lovely. I, I just enjoy genuinely talking to her about, like, uh, uh, her time in Indonesia and everything. But I don't I don't use their plastic cup. I get an iced coffee, so I don't use their plastic cup. I just bring a mug with me each time. Mm. It doesn't take a lot to just carry a mug in there and say, hey, can I have it? And again... It's taking little steps. People, they'll be like, oh, I care about the environment. I care about this. Meanwhile, they're traveling all over the world. So your carbon <laughs> offset isn't really that great. You're, uh, you know, you're, whenever you go get an iced coffee or something, you aren't bringing uh, a container with you. Everybody's full of crap. I don't know how we got on that. Tell you what, tell me about the trip back from, what was it like coming from Malaysia? I can't imagine flying from Malaysia to Hong Kong during a pandemic with all the restrictions that they have in place? Well, let's just say traveling traveling back to Hong Kong versus traveling from Hong Kong back to Malaysia seven months plus ago, uh, it was a lot harder. It was a lot, <laughs> a lot harder. Um, I literally wanted to cry. Well, actually, I, I You're leaving cry. family and everything? You're leaving family, leaving Edwin and all that? Or... <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, that that too. <laughs> but while I was let me just walk you through the process. So obviously, I I usually am early at the airport anyway, but um, I went extra early. So about three hours uh, before my flight I arrived, checked in. Uh, I'm wearing a double mask, double four ply mask, and I have a face shield on as well um, because you know. Uh, things in Malaysia aren't looking very good. So just in case, I didn't want to like, you know, uh, land in Hong Kong and test positive and then, you know, yep. have 
uh, <laughs> had to be rushed to a hospital or something. So I took extra precaution, right? Um, and it's, uh, it's the OCD nurse and me coming out. So like wet wipes everywhere. When it, once I got in, onto the plane, wiped everything down uh, and so forth. Uh, yeah. Did you so, have anybody oops. sitting next to you on the flight? Oh, no, no, no. There were about maybe, I asked the stewardess, they said there were about 30 something people on board that day. So this is a plane that- On a plane that like, would normally have how many? Two plus hundred. Oh, wow. Sorry, 200 plus. <laughs> As an as an empty airplane. Yeah, it is. I had I, there were people that were sitting uh, in in the what I call it cabin. So like the section that I was in, maybe how many people were there? Maybe five of five of us. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Spread out over. So like you can you can switch seats here and there as long as you you know it's uh, still a distance away from the person sitting near, well, uh, closest to you, I guess. Um. Obviously, they had to change the way they, they send meals. Uh, they, yeah. So it was more like a snack kind of meal instead of like a proper meal meal. Um, but anyway, the flight from KL to Hong Kong is usually about between three and a half to four hours. So it's not, not a long flight at all. So once you get off the plane, you, I felt, by the way, I felt like I walked the whole of Hong Kong airport. <laughs> and at 9.20 p.m. at night, um, not great, <laughs> not great. Also, I had I had a very stupid idea, not a very stupid idea, but okay. I was dumb enough to carry a backpack that was filled with, well, my work laptop, my Mac, my MacBook, my iPad, uh, at the relevant charges that I have. It was heavy as hell, okay? So... I was carrying that all the way. I, I don't know how many steps I took that night, maybe about 7,000 or something. But anyway, so I should to a place where I basically get the, uh, I get a test done, I get registered, and then you have to go to a waiting area where uh, it looks like an exam hall, really. Um, and you get assigned a seat and you wait there until your test results come out. And the waiting time is between two to four hours. So that is, oh, that is that is when I actually felt like really, really crying and breaking down because it was just like, and I was close to midnight by that point. Yeah, I, yeah. I would have had a mental breakdown right then. It was close to midnight at that point. I had a headache and I was like, oh my God, is this COVID? Or is this like, is this just from me crying earlier? Or <laughs> what? what is this? Am I just really tired? And then, yeah, the whole process um, from... You know, from then, uh, someone comes to you and says, okay, your, your, your test can be negative. You can proceed to the next area. Then you take a bus to get your luggage, and then you have to get a coach registered to you, and they send you to the relevant hotels that you're staying at. So by the time I got in, it was like 3 a.m., and I was tired. But, you know, when I came into, when I finally got to the room, obviously the first thing I had to do was clean first. <laughs> So wipe my bags down, the wheels, because they, they've been, they all they went all over Hong Kong airport, right? So <laughs> yeah, a lot of cleaning. So by the time I actually got to bed, it was nearly 4 a.m. And uh, Jesus and, and for those that don't know, like me yeah. staying up till 4 a.m., like I go to bed at about 2.30, 3 o'clock is when I usually go to sleep. Like Wei Shen going to bed at 4 a.m., that's, that is, usually she'll wake up around 4. There's a better chance of her waking up at 4 a.m. than being awake at 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, 
so I was really tired, right? But at, at the same time, I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't like fall asleep straight away. And it was the same for this, the following night. Uh, I ended up watching a documentary and yeah. That oh, yeah, I got to watch that documentary. What, what, uh, tell the people what it was. I forget what the name of it, but it's called Night on Earth on Netflix. It's really, really good. It just gives you an insight to how like animals live at night. Like because in the past we didn't have the the technology to or the cameras that had the technology to actually light up the night. <laughs> yeah. So it, and um, if you have a chance, watch the uh, the behind the scenes as well because it gives you the insight to how the cameramen and the you know uh, the people around them uh, what they had to do to get those scenes. Yeah. Amazing. That no, sounds cool. Amazing. I gotta check it out. Yeah, check it sorry, out. Sorry, I cut you off. I cut you off. You were, you oh no, no, no. And that kind of ties in back to like you know it 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 was it's really nice to see the documentary because you can see all, um, well, a how climate change is affecting animals as well and how they behave, and uh, you know it, especially in areas like um, I forget where it was. It's somewhere in I want to say Africa, um, where where there are elephants. <laughs> But Africa. anyway, yeah, I think it's Africa. But uh, you know, the because of um, urbanization, so like uh, there's a village that the elephants have to cross through because that's on their migration path. But that city or that little town, actually, I'm quite sure it's not India. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, quite sure it's India. But but anyway, um, yeah, so. It, Urbanization has also affected like how animals live. They have to go through towns where, yeah, well, they usually wouldn't go through. And yeah, not not to mention all the you know the bears in America that are continually and increasingly going into people's homes because they have no food or they can't find food easily. So wolves as well. Yeah, wolves as well. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. So I think uh, that's probably it for this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, next week uh, we'll be back. Uh, you know, we got we Weisha and I have just been we, we we've just been lazy on trying to get guests. Like we're just like, yeah, it's like no, 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 no. We have not been lazy. Okay, I have not been lazy. I've been, I've been very lazy. I haven't tried to get any guests at all. So I feel <laughs> bad. You have a lot on your plate, and. Uh... Yeah, I mean, last week I well, we, we we thought about doing the podcast, but I was just tied up mentally. I think. Yeah. Uh, no, you're yeah. not mentally there at all. Yeah, you know. Financial <laughs> technology. So. No. <laughs> no worries. Well, we'll see we, you all next week. Maybe it'll be Wei Shen still in her hotel room, locked there, um, peering yeah. out. By by week two of it, she'll probably be going a little bit stir crazy so maybe it'll be fun if we just almost document how much more insane you get as you have to be locked in a room where you can't see out a window and you aren't allowed out the front door yeah (laughs) it's an interesting human experiment right now that we can uh, document here it is it is so welcome to my first week of quarantine here in hong kong we'll walk you through the remaining two weeks (laughs) there you go Well, until next week, week, then. (laughs) Catch you later. Bye.